What great singing this morning. That is so cool. Oh, that was so good to hear. Well, I just want to start by saying happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Let's give the moms a hand. We won't have anybody raise their hand, but we could say raise your hand if you're in church because your mom brought you. That's awesome, but we won't say that. You don't have to raise your hand. You know, um, I think Mother's Day is so amazing. It is such a day to celebrate, really, for everybody. And uh, it is a wonderful day to celebrate because everybody has a mom. And that is true of every person on earth. When you think about this, there is no person who's ever existed on earth that didn't have a mom. There was one person who didn't have a dad, a human dad. That was Jesus. But even Jesus had a mom. And so when we think about Mother's Day, Mother's Day is a day to celebrate regardless of anything in your life. You don't have to be a mom to celebrate it because you have a mom. And uh, many people are moms, so that's an additional reason to celebrate. And the other thing is that we all know moms. And so Mother's Day is a special day, especially for every single Christian, whether you're a mom or not, because you have a mom and because you know moms and we love each other, and we pray for moms. It is so significant. Being a mom is such a wonderful blessing. It can also be full of pain and sorrow and difficulty. It's especially hard to be a mom sometimes because people make memes about you. So when you think about Mother's Day memes, I got a few that I really like. This is one of my favorite ones. Mom, what's it like to have the greatest daughter in the world? I don't know, dear, you'll have to ask Grandma. I love that. Um, I also love this one. Uh, Are you a good mom? I don't know. Of course I'm a good mother. They're still alive, aren't they? Hey, there is a lot to be said for kids being alive. So if you were a kid and you were alive, no matter what else happened in your life, you could thank your mom for that. That is amazing things. For many reasons, you are only here because of your mom. Now, Another thing, too, is it's interesting. I think about, like, these significant mother things in our family. And uh, what's amazing is that I find out because of memes that this is not just our family. So um, I just want to ask you a question. Your mom ever talked to you about wearing a jacket or a coat? Um, I like this meme, a sweater, something you wear when your mother is cold. <laughs> um, how about this one? I'm wearing a jacket because it'll be cold later. I am freezing. My mother feels cold. Um, that, that ring true in your family? <laughs> That's definitely a regular conversation that we have in my family. How about this one? And this I'm thinking specifically of my kids. But uh, when your mom tells you to bring your jacket with you and you say, I'm fine, and then you get outside, and in case you can't tell, he's freezing. And then this is uh, another one that I really like. I will do a lot of things, but admitting I'm cold after my mom told me to bring a jacket is not one of them. Happy Mother's Day. So I was thinking about just that quality in moms. You know, moms love their kids. And I remember when my kids were babies, sometimes I actually felt fine. But you have this brand new little baby, and it could be in, in a room where maybe you're okay, but there's, it's kind of cold. And, and Michelle was, would always say, hey, make sure you put clothes on the kid so it doesn't get cold. And we don't realize that your parents are still telling you that as a teenager. But it's because they have been, your mom has been thinking about your life and and just expressing love for you and thinking about what you're going to face and trying to prepare things for you. I remember I was working construction. I was an adult. Um, I still lived at home. I'm working construction. And my mom used to make my lunch. And uh, your mom has been caring for you your whole life. And uh, that is one of those things that as I think about that, Um, often the sacrifices, the care, the things that that moms do for their kids, kids will actually never understand because you're so young, you don't realize it. And sometimes when you become a mom and you think about how hard it is to be a mom, it makes you go back and think about, man, this is what my mom did for me. You know, I think about our culture. Our culture is so opposed 
to the incredible blessing that God has given in moms. Um, Satan wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy um, what God has intended for good. And I think about, you know, the world today is in opposition to biblical motherhood. Being a mom that honors God and cares for your kids, like in our world, that is shamed, it is disregarded. Um, you know, I love all the jobs that Michelle's had. She worked when we first got married. Super thankful for that. We had so many opportunities to share the gospel. I think about um, one of her early jobs. Her manager got saved. The person who was over him in her company got saved. And it was just incredible to see the doors that God has opened for us to share the gospel with people and be involved in people's lives because of the jobs that Michelle had. I'm so thankful for that. Um, but I'll just tell you, when it came to choosing between our kids and work, kids were so much more important. And we made huge sacrifices as a family because the truth is that being a mom is more important than anything else you could do. If you could take a person, and this is one of the ways that culture attacks motherhood, if you could take any woman and you could say to her, if you neglect your kids and you go to work, you could be Bill Gates. You could be rich. You could be successful. You could provide the world with Microsoft Office. Think about all the things that get done because of that. If you could have your wildest dreams fulfilled outside of the home, but not be the bomb that God intended you to be, that would be an utter failure. Being a mom is so much more significant and so much more important than anything else a person can do. I've heard of people go, oh, man, if you plan to stay home, there's no reason to go to college. Uh, you don't need that. If you're not going to be in the workforce using it, just stay home. And I think to myself, no, go to college because your kids are worth any education you have, any talents, any any abilities that you can develop and use to invest in your kids. Your kids are worth more than any place you could work. And so as far as being talented and building into yourself and learning everything and being prepared, there's nothing more important, no more important place that you could use your talents and gifts than investing in your kids. But we have a world that changes that, and it's just tragic. You know, I think about the sacrifices that moms make. <laughs> Michelle, when she had, she had a job, she, does, she has jobs now too, but um, when she had a job, she could not get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Hope this is okay for me to share this, Michelle, but I was always afraid, <laughs> I was always afraid she was going to get fired. Like I remember the first place we lived after we got married, you know, she'd need to get to work, her alarm's going off, and she's sleeping, and I'm nudging her, and she won't get out of bed. And so I'd go into the bathroom, turn the shower on, pick her up, carry her in there, and stick her under the water. And then I'd braid her hair <laughs> so she could get to work. She didn't have enough time to do her hair. I was good at braiding hair, and, uh, which my sister taught me. But anyway, this is a thing that I thought was crazy. What I thought was crazy is that when we had kids, this lady that could sleep through an alarm, that, you know, couldn't get herself out of bed in the morning, man, one of our kids would roll over in bed and she would pop up and go see what was wrong. Um, after our kids were out of the house and she got a job, she didn't have problems getting to work anymore. But it's because she spent 20 years getting up for our kids. And, and kids never know the love, the sacrifice, the care that moms have. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at motherhood in a messy world. Um, it's hard to be a mom. Things aren't always perfect. And we're going to be looking at Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Um, she uh, grew up in a messy world. Things were not perfect in her home and family, but she was a good mom. And one of the things that I think about is the priority that scripture puts on us honoring our moms. And we have Mother's Day, and it's motivated by all the money that you can make selling Mother's Day cards, right? But I'll tell you what, mothers are worth honoring. In fact, 
um, the words that God says and how often God says we need to honor our moms. It is amazing when you go through scripture. I want to just share a few of those things with you. But think about this. In the Ten Commandments, God's listing ten things. This is what he says. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and that the, that the Lord your God is giving you. God actually promises blessing and long life to people that honor their moms. That's repeated in Deuteronomy. When God gives the Ten Commandments again, he says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. This is like an amazing verse right here. It's Leviticus 19.3. And it says, Every one of you shall revere his mother, mom comes first, and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. God gives this command about the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath. Um, you know, they killed people who didn't keep the Sabbath. And in that same sentence, God says, honor your mom. You know, sometimes our kids don't honor us. And uh, if we really took a step back and thought about it, it's because they've seen an example of not honoring mom from us. And, and we need to be people who set an example of honoring moms. God takes that seriously. You know, that's not just the Old Testament. Uh, that's repeated in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. For God commanded, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Um, that's how seriously God took it. Jesus quotes it in um, Ephesians 6, 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. That is repeated in the New Testament. And by the way, this is just like this tiny smattering of the verses about honoring your parents. Um, how about Proverbs 6.20? My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always tie them around your neck and then look at this verse 22 when you walk they will lead you when you lie down they will watch over you when you will wake they will talk with you for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life so that says something to us about our moms that we need to honor our moms, that we need all the things that our moms are teaching us, we need to keep those in our mind because when mom's gone, the things that she taught us will go with us. But that also says something about what moms are supposed to be doing. And I think when we think about all these things, um, there's all kinds of things mom do. Moms do. They make your lunch and get your jacket and take you to sporting practice. But those are not the most significant things that moms do. The most significant things that moms do is to set an example and to actively teach people, their kids, to honor and love the Lord. That is the most significant thing that a mom does. I'm thinking about the greatest gift that any kid could give their mom is to be a Christian, to be a person that's saved, that is honoring the Lord, that if you die, your parents know you're going to heaven. The greatest gift any mom could give their kids is to know the Lord, to honor the Lord, that kids will know when my mom leaves this earth, she knows the Lord, she's going to heaven. So we're going to look at this passage in, um, uh, we're going to look at this passage in 1 Samuel, and we're going to see three really important things. I put the first one up on the screen, and that is that life in a fallen world is challenging. It, it is hard to be a mom. Like when you think about your life, I'm sure your life was not ideal. If you're a mom, I'm sure you were not an ideal mom. If if you, if you have kids, I'm sure that they realize you're not an ideal mom, perfect, doing everything right. That's true. 
life in a fallen world is challenging, and it's very challenging for moms. The second thing that we're going to see this morning is that drawing near to God in prayer is powerful. Hannah is a, a woman who, who grows up at a challenging, difficult home. Her life is hard. We'll read about that. And when she is brokenhearted about not being able to have kids, she prays. She, she falls before the Lord in prayer. And what we're going to find out as we read this story is that God's plans for Hannah are better than her plans for herself. She's struggling. She goes to God. She asks for something. And in the midst of her difficulty and suffering, God pours out his goodness in her life. So let me tell you a little bit about 1 Samuel, and then we're going to jump into this passage. Um, 1 Samuel is a really key book in the Bible in God's plan for salvation history. And Hannah and Samuel play a significant role Like, this is not just a story about their life. This is a story about what God is doing in the world. God, in Genesis chapter 1 through 11, just tells us about the creation of the human race. In 12 through 50, it's his creation of a nation, the Israelite people. And then in Exodus, Israel goes into Egypt where God multiplies them, makes them a great nation. And then God takes them out and destroys Egypt exalting and glorifying himself. So God's doing these good things for the nation of Israel. And then with Joshua, uh, he brings them to the promised land. They disappear. (laughs) They, They disobey. Numbers is about them wandering in the wilderness after they've disobeyed. And then Deuteronomy is where God gives them the law again, gives them a second chance to obey him. And then God raises up Joshua, who takes them into the land of Canaan, And they conquer Canaan, and then Israel falls into this disobedience again, this cycle of you have all these judges, just a cycle of disobedience in the book of Judges. And Samuel is the last judge. And so Samuel is who God uses to transition from this period of no king to having kings. And so then you have this wicked king, Saul, who's marked by being externally the the perfect person you would pick, but in his heart he doesn't have a heart for the Lord. And God uses Samuel to anoint King David. And the Messiah is the seed of David. And so Samuel actually makes this transition, anoints this great king that is looking forward to the Messiah who's going to come. And there are some other really cool things that happen, but this story... And this is true not only of the story, this is true of you. The most significant thing about your story is not you. The most significant thing about this story is not Hannah. It isn't Samuel. It is the role that they play in God's bigger story. But that doesn't mean that they aren't people, that they aren't living a real life, that these aren't real people experiencing real things And it's actually just like you because God loves Hannah. He's going to use Samuel. And it's the same thing with you because God has a bigger purpose and we fit into God's purpose. But we are not lost in that. And so this story, one of the things that's so great about it is as we read and understand Scripture, it helps us think and understand ourselves. So let's read this story. Um, Let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. Life in a fallen world is challenging. Do you ever feel that? (laughs) Any heart sore things in your life, difficult challenges? Hey, let's read about how this was for Hannah. It says there was a certain man of Ramathium of Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkiah, the son of Jerah. Joraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. And um, this is one of the cool things about Scripture is you often wonder, why all these details? This is one of the things that I think is significant about the Bible. Every time uh, Bible stories are being written, there's all these indications of names, places, dates, things, people. 
And it's because God's history happens in real life. You know, there is not another book, not another religious book anywhere like the Bible. Here's the thing is that you can actually go to these cities and these places, and, and sometimes we find evidences of people. And so uh, there's Ramah. That's where they were from. And you can see the Mount of Olives is over there and Gibeah. And so you can kind of see this area. You can go to the hills of Ephraim. And you can look, and sure enough, there's hills there. And then you can look, and you can see this is a, a watchtower, like just a beautiful area. You can go to the location where these things happened. And so we are given these details, and it's because God's story all, always happens in real places, in real people. It's not a make-believe story. None of it is. And then it says this, and it's going to talk about the fallenness. And this is what it says, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2, and he had two wives. Okay, this is a problem. God intended for one man to marry one woman. Man, this is terrible. This guy's living in a sinful time in Israel's history where he's going to marry more than one woman. And the name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this is a difficult situation. We're going to find out that uh, Penina was a very mean-spirited woman, and uh, she intentionally um, mocks and harms um, Hannah. Look at First Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Now, this, we're going to, I think on Father's Day, we'll talk about Eli, and we'll talk, so we'll come back to these same two chapters for Father's Day. We'll talk about Hophni and Phinehas, so we have a great, wonderful story for you moms. And for dads, here's an example of a terrible dad. Um, great mom for the moms, terrible dad for the dads. So we'll look at this story. We'll pick up these other details later. But Hophni and Phinehas, man, they are not good people. And this is a contrast between the wickedness of, of Eli and the, the faithfulness of Samuel. Like that's one of the things that's happening here. We see this contrast between Saul and between um, David. And we're, we're going to see this contrast actually even in the story about, actually, we'll get to that in a second. So it says this, so we see that, that uh He's sacrificing. The, the dad's not totally wicked. He goes up and he sacrifices. There are these other things that you could see. He's been impacted by his culture. There are so many things in our culture that are wicked and they're sinful and they're foolish. They bring destruction. But we're so used to seeing them everywhere, we just walk off and we do these sinful things that bring grief and sorrow into our life because we're used to it. And, and this is just a reminder that we need to be people who read God's word, that don't take our cues from what is everybody around us doing, but what does God say you're supposed to do? What is so obvious to us, you don't marry two women, was confusing to him because of his culture. And in the midst of that mess, he still faithfully regularly goes up to worship. We'll see some other things about him. Look at verse 4. On the day when Alkiah would sacrifice he would give portions to his wife, to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And you see in this God's goodness, she's struggling. She is heartbroken. She is crushed. But God's given her a husband who loves her. Though the Lord had closed her womb. And her, her rival used to provoke her grievously, grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkiah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Um, she is 
devastated. She is heartbroken that she doesn't have kids. She just weeps all the time. She doesn't eat. This other woman that is her her husband's other wife is mocking her, intentionally tormenting her, being mean-spirited toward her. And, and as we read the rest of this story, um, we're going to see how much this emotionally devastated her. And did you notice something that was repeated over and over? Why was she so heartbroken and sad? It's because she had no kids, right? She was barren. What did the Bible say about why she was barren? Did that stand out to you? Said it twice. Because the Lord closed her womb. You know, God's the reason that she didn't have kids. God is the reason that she was so miserable. Like this was a, a situation that God allowed to be in her life and actually brought into her life. See, that's why it's so important for us to read through Scripture so that we understand that nothing that happens to us in our life is an accident. And we need to learn as Christians to think about the difficulties, the trials that we face. Now, was it God's fault that this wife, this other wife was mocking her and tormenting her? I mean, all of that fit into God's plan. But there were evil things in the world that brought about her misery too. But God was not uninvolved in this situation. You know, there are so many people who go through life and they are harmed because they don't know what God says and because they're not committed to thinking about life the way God tells us we need to think about life and because people live the compromise of the world all around them instead of living faithfully the way that God has said to. Hey, a fallen world is not what God intended. And it's much worse when society has departed from God. Is that not the world that we live in? Um, have you ever heard this? Life is hard, but it's even harder when you're stupid. <laughs> you ever heard that? Anybody ever said that to you? Man, that's true. Um, can I tell you something? Um, life is harder when you're stupid. Do you want to know what stupid is? Stupid is living life and ignoring what God has said about life. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is, uh, is insight. So you're stupid when you live your life ignoring what God says. And I'll just tell you right now, life's hard, but it is harder when you're stupid. But even this, in the midst of fallenness and sin, God is still there. God loves us. God works in our life. He gave her a husband that loved her. And he is going to put an exclamation point on her kid that is going to come out of her sadness. Her sadness and her difficulty is part of what makes having Samuel so wonderful. And this difficulty causes Hannah to do the thing we're all supposed to do. And that is to draw close to God, to pour out our heart to him, to pray, to talk to him. Uh, how overwhelmed do you think she felt? And I just want to ask you a question. What are the things in your life that break your heart? What are the things in your life that make you feel overwhelmed? What are the difficulties that you face? Can you um, take a step back and look and say, how much of my suffering is due to my disregard of God? And can you look at your suffering and difficulty and say, how does God want me to respond to these things because she does the best thing something we should all do and that is to get close to God to pray to talk to God and so God uses this difficulty we're going to find out to bless her tremendously here's our second point is that drawing near to God in prayer is powerful it is a powerful thing when it happens you know, James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Um, in talking about prayer, 1 John 3 says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 
It's interesting. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. How many people live their life in disregard of God and disobedience, and then they pray and they think, oh, God's going to fix everything in my life if I pray while they live a disobedient life. It's not what Hannah's doing. How about, how about John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the requests that we have asked of him. Hey, let's read this story. And uh, we're going to see here, um, we're going to see the amazing uh, emptiness of the religious leaders of that day. We're going to see how foolish Eli is how spiritually unperceptive he is. And we're going to see the faithfulness of Hannah. But verse 9, And they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, and Hannah arose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Now she was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord, and she was weeping bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If indeed you will look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, I will give to you your servant and will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will touch his head. Um, What does that mean about Samuel? It means he's a Nazarite, right? Have we heard of a Nazarite in... uh, in Judges before, we, we heard about Samson, right? Samson's this Nazarite dedicated to the Lord. And he was a terrible example of a Nazarite. He didn't care about God. He wasted everything. God made him like this, this superhuman person. And he wasted it all. And here we're going to see an ordinary person, Samuel, who's a Nazarite. And he's actually going to live up to who God has called him to be. Nothing miraculous about his person. But God's going to use him powerfully. There's this contrast between Samson and Samuel. Their names even kind of sound similar. Um, Do you know there's only three lifetime Nazarites in the Bible? Samson, Samuel, who God's going to use to anoint King David. Do you know who the other one was? John the Baptist. And he anoints the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus. So as you read through the Old Testament and as you think about these things, actually all of these things are supposed to be flooding into your mind. Do you realize that none of the details given in Scripture are an accident? We're supposed to be people who read the whole thing. And as we're reading it, we're supposed to learn the lessons that God intends for us and to see these connections. Look at verse 12. And she continued praying before the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. (laughs) Okay, so Eli, if you were to say, who's the most spiritually unperceptive person in the Bible? I, I think we could say it's Eli. I mean, He can't tell the difference between somebody drunk and somebody pouring out their heart to the Lord. He can't tell the difference between, like, what God has called him to do as a dad as his kids are fulfilling a priestly office and they're wicked as as religious leaders. He has no concept of what he's supposed to be doing. When Samuel actually ends up, uh, he's raising Samuel, and when God talks to Samuel... Eli is so dull, he can't figure it out. Like he's got to tell Samuel, go back to bed, go back to bed. Like this, Eli is the most unspiritually unperceptive person. And we'll we'll get to that with Father's Day. Not that you guys are like that as dads. (laughs) But it is amazing. And so he goes up to her and he says, how long will you go on being drunk? Have you ever been misjudged? Um, put away your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Hey, that's what we're supposed to do. 
when we're overwhelmed, when we're troubled by things that we see, when our kids aren't walking with the Lord, when our family is not walking with the Lord, those kinds of things, what are we supposed to do? First of all, we should care. You know, that's a contrast. Eli didn't really care. But Hannah, Hannah did. She's taken her heart. She's pouring it out before God. And uh, she's praying. You know, and, uh, and the Eli, this, this oaf, um, you know, he insults her. And then she tells him, no, I'm just in prayer. And Eli realizes what's happening. And it says in verse 17, then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So here's the crazy thing. God uses a donkey to speak to Balaam. And actually, this priest being an idiot, he still is in a role. God is still going to use him, even though he has all these problems. And when he realizes that, he prays that God will answer her prayer. And she goes away, and she's not sad anymore awesome how God's going to work through that. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. They went back to their house at Ramah and Elkiah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. You know, it's interesting, this whole concept of God remembering. Does God ever forget anything? God knows everything, and he never forgets anything. But it's kind of interesting. Every time God remembers something in Scripture, something significant happens. You know, Noah um, is in the ark, and God remembers Noah, and then the water subsides. Um, God's destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, and God remembers Abraham, and then he saves um, Lot. Rachel is barren, and God remembers her, and she has a kid. Um, God remembers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then he takes Israel out of Egypt, and God remembers her, and she has a kid. This is talking about not something that, oh, that's right, I forgot. This is just Scripture saying God focused his attention. He did something for them. Verse 21, then... um, Elkiah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And Elkiah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took up with him, uh, along with her, a three-year-old bull, an ephod of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him into the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. So here's the crazy thing. She is praying, God, give me a son. And then she weans the son and gives him back to the Lord. You know, like, does that strike you as odd? I have to have a kid. I need a kid. I cannot function without a kid. But if you give me a kid, I'll give him back. That actually tells you something about Hannah, about what motivated her, what drove her. She wasn't just living life thinking, what about me? She did want a kid, but she was committed to God's kingdom and God's purpose and God's plan in history. And take having a son and giving her son to God, man, that filled her heart. That's what she wanted to do. And Elkiah, her husband, saying, make sure you keep your promise to the Lord. But one of the things that we're going to see here is that life wasn't all about her. How many people grow up and live their life, and as they go through their life, Life is all about you. God, why? I'm suffering. There's pain here. I want this. Give me that. Everything is about you. And so many people live their life that way. And because of that, they miss out on all the good things that God has planned for them. Samson, God had great plans for him. But because he lived his life saying, what do I want? How can I have what I want? God, I'll only pray if I need something or if I want something because life is about me. 
he never achieved the great things that God wanted for him because he wasn't living for the Lord. Or the people who suffer and they never get all the good things that God intends for their life through their suffering. They just suffer because their life is focused on themselves instead of being blessed by the good things God has intended for them, instead of being blessed through the bad things that God allows to come into their life, they miss everything because life's about me. And we don't see that with Hannah. Um, he, she draws near to God. Uh, God hears her prayer. He answers her prayer. And she takes this kid that she wants so much, gives him to the Lord, and that is a blessing to her. And we're going to see that God, this is the great thing about God, and it's the way he worked in Hannah's life, and it's the way he works in our life. God's plans for Hannah are better than the plans that she has for herself. Do you know that? God's plans for you are better than anything you could come up with for yourself. And we miss out on all of that when we live for ourselves instead of living for God's glory. Hey, let's, let's look at the way God blesses Hannah. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My, hor my horn exalts in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There's no rock like our God. There is no more so very proudly. Let not the arrogant come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. The feeble bind on strength. Those who, who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven sons, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ashes, from the ash heap, to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the Lord, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked will be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord will be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will, give, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then Elkiah went to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. See, one of the things that you see when, when Hannah is good, she doesn't say, oh, yay, I finally got a kid. I got this thing that I wanted. God gave a knowledge of himself to her. She praises God. This tells us something about what was in her heart. When she's going to praise God and when she's going to respond to what God has done, what does she say? It's because she lives for God. And then it goes on, and we're going to skip this section, but in verse 12 it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. And when we read that story, you'll understand that. It's true. And that ends in verse 17. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt, but God's put Samuel, her son, in the temple. He blesses her with the a knowledge of himself, but he blesses her with the ability to care for his kid. Verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him every year when she went up with her husband to offer a yearly sacrifice. She's able to contribute and watch him in ministry, and she is blessed by seeing the amazing things that God is going to do through her kid. And, you know, Samuel is going to make Israel a better place. He's going to lead Israel to the place of faithfulness. God is going to do these amazing things in Israel. In fact, her whole country gets better because of her son. You know, I think about what God tells us, how God tells us that we're supposed to pray. You know, think about the Lord's Prayer. 
pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We first and foremost care about God and his plan, and then we pray, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, So often when you hear people pray, it's only the second half that you hear them pray because their heart and their life is about themselves. And I just want to say that when our kids are growing up in a house where that's true, um, that impacts them. And I think Samuel, probably even though he wasn't around his mom, learned something from what she was committed to. And that is what God intends all moms to be. It's the most important thing you do is what you do in modeling and teaching your kids to love the Lord. Verse 20, then Eli would bless Elkiah, his wife, Elkiah and his wife, and he said, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition that she asked of the Lord, so then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. You know, she asked for a kid, and God gave her that kid. But then he gave her three more sons and two daughters. Hey, we've uh, seen that somewhere in Scripture before. We know that those who love God, God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And we know in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. See, God loves you and God has better plans for you than you could come up with for yourself. And yet we believe the lies of Satan that following the Lord, loving the Lord and putting God first will somehow make me miss out on life. Not true. Hannah is an amazing example of a woman who lived in a fallen world, who struggled, who had personal difficulties, but she loved the Lord. And I want to just say that um, she married somebody she wasn't, she's like a part of this marriage of a, a second wife. She's the second wife. And you think about all the times that people do things that contribute to their difficulty and the, the truth is that often uh, we don't, we're not always the people we should be. And all of us could look back and say, man, I should have done this and I should have done that. And, and can I just tell you something I love about Scripture and God and salvation and all of that? What I love about it, we are never defined by our past. Now, the best day to have started living for the Lord and training your kids, the best day to have done that would have been before they were born and then to train them the day they were born. And everything you do to be praying every day for your kid while they're nursing, looking forward to the day when they can start to talk so that you can communicate with them and talk to them about what they're thinking. And from the time they're really small, teach them about God. Teach them all these stories that when they're getting up and going to school and things are going wrong in their life, that you're training them and saying, look, look, look what happened there. That's what happens when people disobey God. And, and this thing you're struggling with in your life, This is what God says you're supposed to do. Here's how you're supposed to respond. And that the biggest thing on your mind from the time your kids is born is when you think to yourself, man, they can barely understand these concepts, but I'm going to give them this concept that they need about what it means. Like when kids are in the nursery and they're fighting over toys and you pull them to the side and you say, this is what God says about sharing and this is why we share. Or when kids don't honor you and don't obey you and you teach them, no, you have to learn to obey me. And this is why. Because this is how this reflects on your relationship with the Lord. And for the, before your kids are born, you're already thinking and planning. And you're trying to find who are the godly, faithful people who can train me and teach me to be the mom that God wants me to be. That's the best time to do it. You want to know what the second best time is? Today. (laughs) If you got like 50-year-old kids 
and you didn't do all that stuff when they were young, that's okay. You can't go back and change that, and you don't have to. But you should start today being the person that God wants you to be, saying the things that you can say, doing the things that you can do. And you want to know the best thing about that is? Just pray. What does God do when we pray and when we pour out our heart before him? You know, this is what I love. If you look at verse 26, it says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. That's what Hannah got to see. Now, I want to ask you something. Have you heard that verse before? And the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Where have you heard that? Okay, yeah, Luke 2.52, right? It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Isn't that amazing connection that you have the Nazarite Samson who's a waste, then you have the Nazarite Samuel who anoints David, and then there's this promise of the son of David, and there's this phrase stated about Samuel, and then John the Baptist is a Nazarite who baptizes Jesus, And in Luke 2.52, it makes almost the exact same statement that is made about Samuel. See, that's what God intends for us, that we read the Bible, that we understand it, that we see what all these things point to. And I just want to close with this. Um, Spiritual values should inform everything that we do, even when we've missed opportunities. As long as we have life, our opportunities are not gone It starts with us, and then it starts with those close to us, and then it moves out. And nobody should ever underestimate the power of a godly woman and a godly mom. And so that's my prayer for all of you, and I am thankful for the great examples that God has given. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this passage, this story And God, I just ask that you would lift up our young moms that are in the beginning of raising their kids, that they would not be so distracted by the logistics of life that they miss out on why you put them here, that they would do those things that are most important. Lord, that we would know that we need help and that we would find older, more mature people who have been down that road and that we would learn. And God, I pray for the many of us who look at our lives and we see ways we wish we would have been better. Lord, thank you that life does not depend on us, that you are powerful, that you are gracious. And God, give us opportunities not to feel pressure or guilt or burden, but you would give us the joy of being your fellow workers and that we would start by praying, that we would follow that by being an example, and that we would follow that by looking for opportunities to be the influence that you want us to be in your name. Amen.